0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm going to try that again. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Oh, that's better. I like that. I like that. Oh, man. It's good to be here with you guys. Uh, Like Elias said, my name is Matt. Matt Weber. I'm an evangelist in Boston in the South Cities region of the Boston Church of Christ. And uh, my wife and I have been there for five years. Prior to that, we uh, led the church uh, in Storrs, Connecticut that met right outside of Hartford, at the University of Connecticut, and uh, prior to that I led churches in Georgia and I went to the illustrious University of Georgia, and it's but it's great to be with you guys this morning. I, I haven't been to this building in a matter of years, not since uh Sajin and Lisa used to lead the church here. Uh but uh you know, one thing that wasn't said in my introduction is that I am an avid football fan. And I know today's the Super Bowl, right? Now, I won't say who I'm a fan of because I feel like maybe some of you guys won't like me uh, once I do that. But uh, we're all looking forward to the game today, right? How many of us are cheering for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs? Or maybe you want to see Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. You know, uh, I think you guys here are very blessed as a congregation. To have your own building, to have a ministry staff. I mean, Elias and his wife moving here a year ago. When you go from Sajan and Lisa Sharma leading the church, it's tough to replace that, right? Yeah. But then you, God brings somebody here to lead the church. You guys have incredible leadership here. Well, why don't we give it up for our leadership here and... And I'm really grateful for for Tom and Kathy Heaton as well. They came into Boston along with Elias to take part in our unity and diversity training course, which I'll talk about a little bit more. But even walking in this morning, I said to my wife on the way in, it took us about an hour and a half to drive in. And I said, do we, who do we know in the Pioneer Valley Church at this point? And, Man, I was greeted as soon as I walked in the door to see Tim Fitzmaier, who's a dear friend of ours. And, uh, and then Bob and Lori Arsenal ran down to come see us. They were part of the church when we led it in Savannah, Georgia. And, uh, of course, uh, I know I haven't seen Rondi and Jennifer since I got here, but they are true heroes and gems. Uh, but you guys have an incredible fellowship. Uh, up there is a picture of me and my family, uh, my wife and my kids. Uh, my son is seven years old. Uh, he is an athlete of athletes. He plays it all. And my daughter is a dancer and gymnast. And uh, my children are brilliant. And I'm showing you a picture because they stay uh, statistically you are 70% more likely to pay attention when the preacher shows a picture of his kids. Uh, so that's, uh, that's a picture of me and my family, my lovely wife of 14 years in a row uh we've been married we met in college for those of you who are married saying in a row is very important because there are times brothers and sisters i'll just say that but the lord saw us through those times and we are doing excellent and so happy uh but i do also want to say um uh, let's see is this working help me out guys there we go happy black history month guys uh happy black history month Uh, And not just to my brothers and sisters of color, but really to all of us, right? Black history is American history, okay? Uh, But what I want to talk about today is actually a very important message. Uh, What I want to talk about today is real unity, brothers and sisters. I want to talk about real unity and what it takes for us as a people to be unified. You know, I want to start off with this, uh, to be a part... Of a, uh, there we go. To be a I'm just going to point to you guys. It seems like the clicker might not be working. Thank you. All right, there we go. To be a part of a multirational, uh, multicultural, multigenerational church, a diverse community, really is a special thing, brothers and sisters. Yeah. I think it's easy for us to take that for granted. Yeah, yeah. Take a second and just look around the room really quick. This is rare, guys. This is actually a rarity today. And what I love about our church, what I love about this church, is that we don't call people to conform and to check their culture at the door. We celebrate it. We celebrate our diversity. This is an amazing thing because the reality is you don't see this on a Sunday morning everywhere. Now, as a disclaimer, whoever you were when you walked in the door, whatever your background, your nationality, your race, your culture, let me tell you something. You won't be saved because of that. Now, I'm proud to be a black man of Jamaican descent. But the reality is that doesn't make me any more saved in the eyes of God. That doesn't make me any less saved in the eyes of God. I'm proud to be your brother. I'm proud to be a part of this family of churches. But the only reason you and I can be saved is because God has accepted us. God has accepted us despite our flaws, our past, our mistakes, where we come from or what we look like. The only reason you and I can be saved is because the Lord Jesus has accepted us into his kingdom. We're meant to be individuals and we're called to be unified. Y'all with me on this? You know, the Bible says next slide, please. In John 17, Jesus is praying uh, before he's arrested. And he says here in John 17 and verse 20. Oh, wow. That's really small. Well, we're going to have a good morning, guys. Squint your eyes a little bit. But if you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles. Amen. Amen. Or turn on your Bibles. Uh, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. He said, My prayer is not for them alone. Keep in mind, this is when Jesus is praying right before he's arrested and crucified. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. As he was thinking about his disciples. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, he says, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, I think about this in Jesus' last moments of freedom, he could have prayed for anything really and what he prayed for was that his followers would be unified see brothers and sisters diversity and unity are two different things y'all with me on this see diversity is the presence of variety while unity is the state of not being multiple diversity is one thing but unity is another jesus didn't pray for diversity jesus prayed for unity Now, see, look, Satan's objective is to divide us, right? We know that from day one with Adam and Eve, his objective was to divide them from each other and divide them from God. And you we see it today in this world. We live in a divided world, don't we? Just open your eyes and look. It's a divided world racially, culturally, socially, politically. And one of my fears is that the divisive stuff in the world seeps into God's church. Y'all with me on this as a minister of the gospel. One of my greatest fears is that the divisive garbage of the world seeps into the church. Brothers and sisters, it needs to be our ambition to build bridges within the church and outside of the church. The title of the message this morning is simply this build bridges, not barriers. Y'all with me on this. Let's pray together. As we go into the word Amen. Uh, heavenly father, God, we are grateful to be in your kingdom. God, God, that you saw the need to gather us together. Father, that your teachings have inspired us and changed our lives, have given us purpose, have given us friendships, have given us family. God, we are so grateful for Jesus who laid his life down for all of us, despite our sin and our weaknesses. God, I do pray that as I deliver this message this morning, God, that your spirit speak through me clearly, God, without hindrance. God, and that your spirit open up all of our hearts, all of our minds and all of our souls, God. So we can leave here not just feeling like we did something good on a Sunday morning, but we can leave here inspired. We can leave here encouraged. We can leave here with a better idea of what it means to be bridge builders, God, of what it means to reach out to people who maybe don't live like us right now. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, turn with me to John chapter four. That's going to be our text today. It's going to be when Jesus had an incredible conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus was able to break down social, cultural, and spiritual barriers and provide us an example. And I also want to say as a disclaimer, I know, I know that the the devil does not want me to preach this message this morning. This is a very important one. You know, I actually preached... A very similar message in my church last week. And I knew Satan didn't want me to preach it last week because the week before my son had gotten COVID. Uh, uh, I had messed up my neck wrestling with my kids once he got healed. And part of me didn't feel like I was going to be able to make it to church. I knew walking in Satan was trying to hold me back. This morning, my daughter woke up. She's like, I don't feel too well. I missed an exit and I thought Satan don't want me to preach this message this morning. But we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. John chapter four. Look with me in verse one. This is an incredible story. One of my favorites in the entire Bible. If you're a fan of the chosen, this was an incredible scene that they showed on that show. It says starting in verse one, we're going to read the verse starting says Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. The Bible says now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Y'all picking up on this conversation pretty powerful, isn't it? Now it takes a little bit of a turn. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I'm sure her first thought was, what does that have to do? With anything we have talked about so far, go, go call my what it says, go call your husband and come back. She replies, I have no husband. So Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you have said is quite true. It's like an episode of Maury. Like that too is a lie. (laughs) Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman said, Jesus, believe me, a time is coming when, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So the woman said, I know, I know that the Messiah called christ is coming when he comes he'll explain everything to us then jesus declared i the one speaking to you i i am he and just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman but no one asked what do you want or why are you talking with her Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way to him. We're going to stop here. You know, by a show of hands, does anyone here believe that the Bible is living and active? Do, Do we believe that? Do we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? I'm a firm believer that every single word we just read is here for a reason. Every single person, every single figure, every single town, all these things are here for a reason because God wants to God wants to tell us something. So let's walk through this text. Y'all want to walk through it? You know, back at this time, Palestine was about 120 miles long from the north to the south. OK, we're in we're in Palestine at this time. And, and during those time, Palestine was broken up into three regions. OK, at the top, at the extreme north, you had Galilee and at the stream, at the extreme south, you had Judea. So Galilee is in the north, Judea is in the south. And then right there in the middle is Samaria. Now, God's people, the Jews occupy the north and the south. God's people occupy Galilee and Judea. Now, you might be thinking, well, Matt, what about Samaria? We're going to get into that. Okay. Now, Jesus Jesus and his disciples, they were preaching in Judea. They were gaining disciples. They were baptizing people. But unfortunately, they ran into some doctrinal issues with some people in Judea about baptism or something. And so Jesus tells his disciples, let's go back up to Galilee and preach. Now, a little bit of a spoiler alert. The Bible says Jews and Samaritans don't associate. That's a very interesting thought now there were centuries worth of challenges between the jews and the samaritans so the jews ultimately they tried to avoid samaria they don't want to go through samaria and i'm going to share a little bit of the history in just a moment so but we know because we're smart people that the shortest the shortest way between two points is what it's a straight line well typically when jews want to go from the south to the north Or the north to the south, instead of passing through Samaria, which would have taken just three days, usually they decide to go around, which would have taken twice as long. So when Jesus tells his disciples, guys, let's go on up to Galilee. They're thinking, oh, we have a one-week trip. We'll go around Samaria. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. We're going to go right through Samaria. And his disciples are like, wait a minute, Jesus. I don't know if you heard, but us and the samaritans aren't really cool like that and jesus finds himself in the town of sychar at this well the time of day is it says it's noon we know at noon it's usually very hot jesus is in a desert climate and at at noon in the desert that's when the heat is at its peak and the bible says jesus was tired he's by a well because he's thirsty he's probably hungry i've been diagnosed with being hangry that's what the doctors call it Where when you're hungry and it's hot, you get irritable. And it's under these conditions that Jesus talks with this woman at the well. I have two points for us this morning. That's it, guys. Y'all want to hear point number one? Point number one is that you've got to get out of your own bubble. What do I mean by this? Let's go back to verse seven. Bible says here, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? This detail is very important here in parentheses. It says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This is in the inspired word of God. God's people. And the scribe thought it worthwhile to say Jews don't associate with Samaritans. You know what we call that today? Prejudice, bias, racism. We see that in the Bible amongst God's people. They don't associate with Samaritans. So you might be asking yourself, why? I'm up. Yep, you said it now, and I'm gonna explain. Let me help you understand this. The history between the Jews and the Samaritans goes back centuries. You know, I have a few scriptures up here, and I'll paraphrase what they say. It might be a little bit too small. If we can go to the next slide. You know, in 720 BC, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom of samaria captured and subjugated it this is from second kings second kings chapter 17 and what they did is they did what any conquerors would do at that time is is they took the residents of that town back to their homeland of assyria so they take the samaritans back to assyria but the reality is was there was so many of them that they actually left a good number of them behind Okay, and then since they had captured so many different types of people, they actually moved a lot of the people from Assyria into Samaria. Okay, and now, unfortunately, what happens when people are stuck in a room together for a long time? They start to get a little friendly with each other. So God's people of that time, the Samaritans in that village, they're starting to look at all these other peoples who are coming in and they're like, hey, shoot, these people ain't too bad. The guys are like, hey, you see that girl over there? She's looking right today, you know, and the ladies are like, you see Cliff? You looking cute today. Now, we know from scripture in the old covenant, God warned his people about intermarrying with people of other faiths. Now, I could go into marrying outside the faith. That's that's another message. There's wisdom. But God told his people not to marry outside the faith because he wanted his people to remain racially pure. He didn't want them bringing in all these, this pagan worship and idol worship, because when they did, that's what happened. And so unfortunately, in Samaria, you have the Samaritans now intermarrying with all these other people and the Jews who stayed behind when they intermarried. All of a sudden, now their offspring are, as someone said in the back, half breeds. They have lost the right to be called Jewish. They are no longer racially pure. Now, later on, a similar invasion took place in the southern kingdom of Judea, whose capital was uh, uh, Jerusalem. Now, these people who invaded Jerusalem, the Babylonians, they came and took their people back off to Babylon. But the difference here was the people that they took into Babylon, uh, they remained. uh, How how am I going to put this? Stubbornly Jewish. And what they refused to do was intermarry with any of the Babylonians, maintaining their racial purity. Fast forward some time, world powers change. Now the Persians uh, 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 have, have the Jews in exile. And so under King Cyrus, he issues a decree. God's people can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their city, rebuild their temple, rebuild their walls. This is an amazing time. The people in Samaria... Hear about this. Oh, the people down south are rebuilding the city. Let's go down and help them. Well, once they came back to Jerusalem, those who had been taken into Babylon and then Persia, they say to those who are coming in from Samaria to help, they say, and this is the last verse in Ezra 4, they say, no, 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 no. We don't want your help. We don't need your help. We want help from people who are like us, not like you. You guys aren't pure. You're just half Jewish. You're not like us. We don't want your help in rebuilding God's temple. We don't even know if this is your God anymore. Y'all hear this? So those who came from Samaria, they're like, well, shoot, then. I guess we're not cool anymore. And then that's where all this bitterness and tension, came from amongst the Jews and the Samaritans. Y'all have a better idea and picture of this now? And that was 400 years before Jesus. So imagine what's taking place now. You see what I'm saying? This is a greater tension than whites and blacks before the civil rights movement. This is like tension between street gangs in some of our major cities in the country. This is why the Bible says Jews and Samaritans do not associate. And I'm pretty sure that this Samaritan woman of all people was astonished astonished that jesus being a jewish rabbi would sit down and talk to her and i think this even brings more clarity to the teaching when jesus uh, uh, taught the people about the good samaritan y'all remember that parable when he taught the jews about the good samaritan the jews were probably like wait a minute a good samaritan there are no good samaritans y'all see where i'm going with this for a samaritan to be good would have been counter-cultural And I love how the Bible says Jesus sends we can go to the next slide. Jesus sends his disciples into Samaria to buy food. Let's read that again. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, I've studied my Bible. For a little bit of time. I've been a follower of Jesus for a little over 20 years and, and I've read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and I noticed a little uh, a trend. Whenever Jesus sent his disciples anywhere, he usually sent them in pairs of two, right? When he sent the 72 out, he sent them out two by two. When he sent the 12 out, he sent them out two by two. Matter of fact, before Jesus was gonna have the Last Supper, he sent just two of his disciples into Jerusalem to prepare the room and all that stuff. Yet here it says he sent all of his disciples into Samaria to buy food. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? So I asked myself, why? Why did Jesus do that? Jesus was very intentional. Why did he do that? I don't know about you. Whenever I go grocery shopping, I like to go alone. <laughs> because I can get the job done quicker. If I go with this kid, we're going to take you know twice as long if i go with both my kids we're gonna take three times as long and we're gonna end up getting things that we don't need that we don't want wasting things so imagine going with a group of 12 people why did jesus send all 12 of his disciples ahead of him into samaria to buy food why you do that jesus here's what i came to y'all with me check this out i don't know if this is the reason but i think it's the reason I think Jesus wanted all of his disciples to experience something different. I think Jesus wanted his disciples to experience being in the minority. He wanted them to experience something new. He wanted them to experience walking through the market and people staring at them. And looking at them differently. He wanted his disciples to experience when they walk by, the women clenched their purse a little bit tighter. He wanted his disciples to experience people whispering about them and pointing at them and saying, you see them, they're Jews. They're not good people. They're not like us. He wanted people to discriminate against them. He wanted them to pay twice as much for something in the town. He wanted them to get out of their comfort zone to get out of their bubble. And what this would allow his disciples to do, it would allow them to grow in areas of understanding and humility. It would challenge their own personal prejudice and bias. It would would prepare them for future ministry work. Now, if Jesus sent his disciples, don't you think he would send us out too? Y'all with me on this? Might get a little uncomfortable. Y'all all right with that? On a Sunday morning, y'all want to get a little uncomfortable? Jesus wants us to get out of our bubbles, brothers and sisters. He wants us to get out of our racial bubbles, our cultural bubbles, our social bubbles, our political bubbles. And what that does is it increases our cultural competency as followers of Jesus. Now, I'll be the first to confess this is not easy for me. I love comfort. Okay, I'll confess. Maybe everyone won't. I love comfort. I love my bubble. I love being people, being with people that sound like me, talk like me, look like me, uh, uh, eat the same type of food as me, laugh at the same jokes as me. I love that. But if everyone were just like me and all I did was associate with people who look just like me, how then can I share the gospel with people who don't look like me? How can I relate to people who don't come from where I come from? Y'all with me on this? But what I want to say is, I want to say something this might rub people the wrong way, but I believe sometimes Christians are the worst at this because sometimes we get caught up in our Christian bubble and all we want to do is associate with people who are other Christians. And then when it comes to understanding people who aren't in our bubble, we find it difficult to reach out to other people because we're so quick to judge other people. Who am I talking about? People who have different beliefs and views on sexuality and orientation. People who struggle with things like addiction. Come from different economic classes or different social classes or come from broken homes. And we're so quick to say if they had Jesus in their life, it wouldn't be so hard for them. (sighs) And we can get so caught up in our Christian bubble. And if we stay right here, how then are we going to share the love of Christ with so many people who are looking for it or aren't looking for it, but know they need it. I think Jesus is calling us. To get out of our bubble. Jesus' ministry did not take place solely at the temple and in the temple courts. He was out amongst the people. Matter of fact, he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Jesus was criticized for getting out of his bubble. They said he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Thank God Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Am I right? Because that's why we're here today. We've got to make sure we're getting out of our bubble. And so I love that, um, I believe, Elias, he promoted the, the People of All Nations training course that we have. If we can go to the next slide. In Boston, we saw the need. We saw the need to start teaching and educating our, our, our membership on cultural competency. And so a few years, they, they appointed me to be a, the chairman of the Social, Cultural, Unity, and Diversity Ministry. If we can go to the next slide, that would be great. And uh, what we did is a few years ago, we put together this, this training course. Uh, that's not the one, but, you know, I'll describe it. It's all right. Don't sweat it. Y'all are doing great back there. Thank you so much, guys. Amen. I appreciate y'all. Uh, we put together, we put together this, this training course because ultimately we wanted to make sure that our membership was trained in how to have cross-cultural communication skills. Because it's so easy for us to just fellowship with people who look and sound just like us. And I know many of you have probably partaken in diversity training in the corporate world, right? It was probably very boring. (laughs) This is not that. This is a biblically based, Christ-centered unity and diversity training course. You're going to hear teaching. You're going to hear testimonies. You're going to hear preaching. It is an incredible course. I want to encourage all of you guys to sign up for it. It's going to be taking place right here in this building. Starting at the end of March going into April. It's only three weeks, guys. Come in on three Saturdays for two hours. That's it. And if you're one of those people that says, I don't need that, you better sign up. <laughs> you definitely need it, okay? I know many of us have been waiting for the church to start addressing some matters like this. Get in there. Some of you guys are like, I don't think we should be doing this. Give it a chance. It's going to open up your eyes to the mission that Jesus has truly called us to i'm a firm believer that shared experiences help you become one in heart with other people let's go on to the second point y'all still with me on this oh y'all are great the next scripture i want to i want to uh talk about as we walk through this text is in chapter 4 verse 27 okay in chapter 4 verse 27 it says just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman But no one asks, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? You know, after we get out of our bubble, the second thing we have to do is we have to start seeking out other people. Point number two is seek out other people. Now, I didn't mention it yet. But during this time, uh, strict rabbis were forbidden to talk to women in public. That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Men and women were on the same same level back then, which is crazy to think. And rabbis, Jesus being a rabbi, it was forbidden for rabbis to greet women in public. Matter of fact, it would have been frowned upon for a rabbi to even associate or talk with his own wife or even daughter in public. Yet Jesus spoke with not only a woman, but this woman. Why do I emphasize that? This woman's very unique. You know, at that time, drawing water from a well was actually seen as a woman's woman's duty. It was a task for the ladies. Okay, the men didn't go up to the well to draw water. The women would go to the well. They would draw water. They'd use that for cooking, washing clothes, uh, bringing water to the family, whatever it is. But because it was a woman's job, oftentimes women would go together because, you know, women like doing things together. Right. Just like when a lady says she got to go to the bathroom, she says, come on, girl, we're going to the bathroom. Like I did not even have to go. We're going. Let's go to the bathroom together. And so back then when the women would go to the well, that was where the women could just be women where they can let their hair down, where they can talk, where they didn't have someone reaching out and trying to ask them to do things because the men weren't there. The kids weren't ladies. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It's like when y'all hide in the room to get away from your husband and the kids and all the other responsibility. And they could just go there and be like, girl, let me tell you what's going on with my kids. And nobody would judge them. They could just go to the well to be women, to be ladies. Maybe they took a little bit longer at the well sometimes, but they could just go there and be ladies. Now, this woman, she didn't go with any of the other women. Matter of fact, she went at noon when it's very hot. And if you've ever had to carry jugs of water, they are very heavy. So she's going at a time where no one else goes at a time. or or She's going with nobody else. And at a time when nobody else goes, I'm going to assume that all the other women went early in the morning while it was still cool, but she didn't go with them. Why? Probably because all the other women talk about her. They talk about her And her reputation. This woman is a tragic sinner. All the other women go and they're like, you know, she with another man this year. Like, What? She's with somebody else. Yeah, she can't keep a man. She doesn't go with the ladies from the gym or the other moms from the school or the other the other ladies on the street. She goes by herself because she's ashamed and she's embarrassed about her lifestyle. She didn't even go with the other church ladies by herself. And it's this woman that the king of kings and the Lord of lords has an amazing, life-changing conversation with. A tragic sinner, a social outcast. Jesus reaches out for her. And what I love, guys, is I think we can all take something from this. Jesus teaches us how to engage with people who don't look like you how to engage with people who don't live a lifestyle like you do what did jesus do here well the bible says in proverbs 20 verse 5 this is one of my favorite proverbs we can go to the next slide it says the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters but one who has insight draws them out brothers and sisters all of us have deep waters within us we all have a past We all have fears. We all have anxieties. We all have weaknesses. We all have ambitions. We are all deep waters and we're still faithful to the Lord because someone who had insight drew those waters out. Someone who has insight draws them out. Jesus, what he did is he didn't judge her. He sought understanding. He asked her questions. He didn't make assumptions. And what this did for this woman is it disarmed her. Y'all with me on this? It made Jesus warm and approachable. It allowed him to validate, connect, and empathize with her, even though he was totally different than her. Naturally, someone like this woman, if she would have seen someone like Jesus in public, she would have put her head down and kept on walking. Or if they were on the same side of the street, she would have walked to the other side of the street just so she doesn't have to catch that judgmental look from him. Or be used as an example in a message. And it's interesting because. This exchange that Jesus had with this woman. We read it so naturally. It's almost like it was a natural conversation for them to have. And I think it's because this woman met someone who wasn't a critic. But a friend. Somebody who didn't condemn her. But sought to understand her. Someone who didn't judge her. But empathized with her. Jesus learned about her family. Her past her fears, her insecurities, her ambitions, her failure, and ultimately her faith. And he could have told and showed her anything, but he showed her the greatest thing. You know what that is? He showed her that he cared about her. That's powerful. She was written off by everybody else, talked about by everybody else. And Jesus showed that he cared about her. And that resulted in something very powerful. You know, it says in verse 39, next slide, please. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him being Jesus because not because of his sermons, but because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Who could have seen this coming? A tragic sinner, social outcast, someone who had been written off by everybody else is responsible for bringing Jesus's love and God's acceptance to a whole town. This sinner had value in God's eyes. Brothers and sisters, everybody has value in God's eyes. Could I get an amen to that? It doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like or what you've done. You can be used by God because you're accepted by God. You know, I want to say this. Breaking down barriers, it produces fruit. Breaking down barriers produces fruit. How do I know that? I'm going to share a little example. So this is the next slide. Uh, This brother in my church in Boston, uh, this is Kelly and Rochelle Moore. Uh, some of you may know Kelly. Kelly's a very interesting guy. Kelly is one of my best friends in my church. Now you might be thinking that's one of your best friends. <laughs> yes, it is one of my best friends. Me and Kelly don't look anything alike. We are from two totally different worlds. Kelly's from Ohio. I am from Los Angeles. Okay? Kelly and I have totally different worldviews. We think differently about almost everything except Jesus. But Kelly is one of my best friends. How did this friendship start? So y'all remember back in 2020, the global pandemic, we all had to endure together. Okay. And remember how we used to all watch church online on YouTube or Facebook or however y'all watched it. Okay. So I remember I used to pre-record sermons for my church. And I I always loved doing that because then I get to log on to YouTube with all of them and watch myself preach. And I was always the guy commenting on my own sermon. I was like, amen, pastor. You know, um, Great job, Matt. So, hey, if I don't love myself, how can I love other people? Okay? So, anyways, uh, towards the end of the year, I preached a sermon. It was a very unique sermon. It was about, it was a, my text was when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. We're, We're familiar with this story, right? But I emphasize how Jesus washed not only all of his disciples' feet, but specifically, he washed Judas' feet. The man who would ultimately sell him out, have him arrested and crucify him. Jesus knew from the very beginning that Judas was going to be that guy. Yet he got on his knees and washed the most disgusting part of Judas's body. In my whole sermon, it was called like the God who kneels and it was all about uh, serving those that maybe you don't see eye to eye with. Loving those that you don't agree with. Extending grace and empathy and compassion to all peoples, regardless to where they come from. Now at this Time. Uh, remember, there was a lot of racial tension at the time in 2020, right? Yeah. We could say it. Cats out the bag. It was there. We all endured it. And at this time, there was a verdict that had just came down in regards to the officers who had just shot and killed Breonna Taylor. now, if you don't remember who Breonna Taylor is, she was the off-duty officer who was in her apartment. Officers came because they were looking for her boyfriend or fiance, and they shot up the apartment, not knowing who was inside, ultimately. And unfortunately, a bullet hit her and she died. And when the verdict came down, the officers were found guilty for wanton endangerment, which was basically property damage. So they weren't found guilty for murder or for killing her. They were found guilty for shooting up the apartment. Wow. Now, me personally, being a black man, I felt some things about that. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Someone who looks like me isn't getting the family's not getting justice in this way. And, and I shared vulnerably before the church how I was wrestling with trying to extend love and empathy and acceptance for people who would support that. And I was just being vulnerable. I could be real. Preacher, preachers got feelings too, guys, okay? Check on your preachers, okay? So I, I was just being honest with the church. And while I was preaching, Kelly Moore sends me a text. He says, can you please help me understand the point that you're trying to make? Now, the worldly side of me, one to leave that message unresponded to. <laughs> and I wanted to be like, figure it out for yourself. That's for you to figure out. I don't want to deal with that. But I'm thinking, okay, I've got to be a man who's about building bridges, not judging other people. Let me try to seek understanding. Maybe maybe Kelly's just trying to seek understanding. And so I met him up that week at his home and, and we sat down on his porch and he asked me a lot of questions, a lot of triggering questions and and i had to exercise a lot of patience and a lot of restraint and and bite my tongue and and i responded to some of his questions and i asked him some questions and i'm pretty sure he had to exercise restraint and patience and biting his tongue and ultimately we were able to have a conversation we were able to pray and we were able to say goodbye and we were able to set up another time to meet up and talk and continue the discussion. And so in a month's time, we met up again on his front porch, and we had another conversation, which led to another conversation, which led to a meal together, which led to us developing a discipling relationship together, sharing our faith together, baptizing people together, getting our wives and our families together. Kelly Kelly is one of my most trusted advisors right now. Kelly helps me become a better Christian and minister because he sees the world totally different than me. And I appreciate Kelly's desire to seek understanding and not be judgmental. And I'm, and I'm one of Kelly's most trusted advisors because I helped sharpen him as a brother in Christ. Kelly has gone from being the person that says we should never talk about this kind of stuff to saying we absolutely need to talk about this kind of stuff because it affects you and you're my brother. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus did. Building bridges and not barriers. That's why Kelly's one of my best friends. We talk probably every other day, every few days. We're studying the Bible with someone else right now. And our wives are studying with his wife. And we're hoping to baptize that man in about a a week or so. And he's a guy that looks and thinks just like Kelly. I would have never been in that circle before. But Jesus calls us to pop those bubbles and seek other people out. If I hadn't done that, I'd be missing out on so much as a man, a father, and a preacher. I would be at a disadvantage and handicapped to God's kingdom if I did not seek out other people. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you seek out other people. Simply put, if there's anything you remember from this message, it's simply this. Next slide. It's simple. Don't make assumptions, make connections. Actually, that's not the slide, but, you know, we're working with y'all. We're working with it, y'all. We're working with We'll get to that one. Yeah, mine too. Stinking Google. Google slides didn't work well. But I'm bringing it to a home. Ultimately, if you remember anything, write this down. It's don't make assumptions. Just make connections. Don't make assumptions. Make Connections. Build bridges. Jesus broke racial, social, and spiritual barriers, guys. And, and, what, and what's wild is I didn't even get into what they were actually talking about. I didn't even get into this teaching about living water. I don't even have time to talk about that. But if you go deeper into this understanding of what living water is, it blows your mind. None of those walls, none of these wells that we've been drinking from. See, Jesus talked to this woman who was trying to get physical water. She was trying to quench her thirst with something that was physical. She had to keep coming back to this well over and over and over again. And just like that woman, we were all drinking from a well that couldn't quench our thirst. Which is why we had to keep coming back. And that's why people get so caught up in the American lifestyle or whatever it is. And they can never have enough sex, never enough money, never enough promotions, never enough relationships. Because they're drinking from a well that can't satisfy their thirst. And Jesus comes up and he's like, I see you drinking from that. Let me give you something a little bit better. And I love how the Bible emphasized that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. It didn't say... He wanted to go through Samaria. The Bible says he needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because he needed to find this woman right here. He needed to go so he could find that woman. I praise God that Jesus needed to come through Los Angeles, California, when I was some punk high school student. Praise God that Jesus needed to come through Chicopee, Massachusetts. Am I right? or Amherst, Massachusetts, or Springfield, Massachusetts, or Boston, or wherever Jesus found you at your lowest. He needed to go there so that he could give you living water. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You know, ultimately, who are you? Your identity is not in what culture or nationality or family you were born into. That's not who you are. You are who God says you are and who does god say you are galatians 3 verse 26 the bible says for you are a children of god through faith in christ jesus and all who have been united with christ in baptism have put on christ like putting on new clothes there's no longer jew or gentile slave or free male or female for you are all one in christ that's who god says you are who else does he say you are romans eight thirty-seven. knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who else does God say you are? First Peter chapter two, verse nine. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Amen. I don't know about you. I take a lot of pride in who God says I am. Amen. And nobody can take that away from me. You can say what you want about me, but I'm gonna listen to who God says I am. Matter of fact, though, I got to look at you based on who God says you are. This is what it means to build bridges and not barriers. Jesus initiated a conversation with this woman ultimately because he cared and because she needed God. So my question to you is, what are you going to do? Because the Lord is sending all of us out. And as I close, I want to quote my king, King T'Challa, who said very clearly at the end of the Black Panther, he said, But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. Brothers and sisters, as I close, I just want to encourage you, let's go out there and let's build bridges with those inside and outside the church. And let's not ever build barriers. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen.